Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 15, Dave Brocky. Uh, Dave Brocky, of course, is the uh, front man for Guar Odorous Arungus himself, and also a, a longtime Richmond resident and personality. Um, going way back to the 80s when he was in the band Death Piggy. Uh, which we talk about here and how Death Piggy evolved into Guar, basically. Um, I was actually, uh, a when I was in college, uh, I guess Guar was starting its real as- ascent um, towards some kind of national, its initial national recognition. I think Scumdogs of the Universe was out and I um, always were going to those shows. And uh, I guess Dave was kind of a... Uh, um, hmm, idol, hero, I don't know if those are strong words, but I certainly looked up to him. I, I appreciated what uh, he was doing with himself in Richmond and what all of the people involved with Guara were doing. And uh, um, I thought it was a pretty, you know, in my sophomoric uh, kind of collegiate way, I was, um, I liked their, the way that they were um, sort of marrying uh, spectacle and performance art and punk rock and metal with um, some social commentary, some political commentary, and just making this big cathartic mess, uh, you know, spraying shit everywhere and chopping off limbs. Really, uh, really enjoyed it back then. Um, I haven't seen them in a really long time. I just really need to do something about that, and I think I will, of course, at the uh, Guarbecue, which is coming up on the 17th. Uh, that features COC and uh, Municipal Waste and Cannabis Corpse and a bunch of other bands. Um, not Loincloth, who I hadn't even mentioned before, but Loincloth is not going to be playing because uh, Tannen Penland was injured in a car accident, so they had to pull out. Um, there's a bunch of other stuff going on earlier than that, sooner than that. Tomorrow is Sound City RVA down at the Civil War Museum um, featuring... Uh, a bunch of bands, the Breeders, Deer Hunter, uh, Elvez, and also um, a bunch of like microbrews and craft beers. Uh, they, I think you get to try a certain amount of them when you uh, when you buy your ticket. Comes with some beer. Uh, also, the next secretly all Monday the twelfth features Dave Brocky uh, telling monologues and stories um, about his trip, a trip of his to Russia former Stalingrad. Um, also beginning this week is the Street Art Festival, um, it's the 11th through the 15th. Uh, it's a bunch of local, over two dozen local and national street artists who are going to be using the site of the old GRTC bus terminal as a, a palette to create murals and sculptures and all kinds of other stuff. Do something with that uh, big eye sword over there on Kerry and Robinson. Um, <clears throat> so yeah that's all a bunch of cool stuff going on and there's lots more um, that I'm aware of but I don't have any information for in front of me but at least this time I actually had some facts for you guys that's, uh, that's progress got that going for me um, also going for me is it's really hot right now I don't know why but I'm sitting here recording this podcast and sweat's rolling down my face and uh, it's, uh, it must be something special temperature wise out there it's always been really hot in richmond in august of course duh no kidding dog days of summer apparently they used to it's called the dog days because that's when all the dogs would get rabies and they'd go wandering around the streets with um foam foaming at the mouth and uh atticus fitch would have to shoot them with a gun uh hopefully i don't think we see much of that these days with the dogs but uh, we've got a lot of uh, rabid Richmonders running around, uh, freaking out, driving too fast, getting on my nerves when I'm going out here and, went, and I'm extra testy because it's so hot and I'm trying to go places and um, yet not tax my poor car with its air conditioning. I get all these jerk-offs zooming around me and coming right up on my bumper. I swear to God, every time I pull out into traffic, there's like nobody coming and I turn around, I'm looking at the grill of an SUV. People need to take it easy. Take it easy. So, yeah, it's too hot to talk. So we are going right in 
to Mr. Dave Brocky. It's like the Death Piggy days. Is Death Piggy the first band you were in? In Richmond? Yeah. I think so. Yes. It was the first band I was in in Richmond. Are you from Richmond? No, I'm not. I'm from uh, Northern Virginia. When I say from there, I grew up there uh, from 4 to 18. Uh, and then before that, I was born in Canada. And I uh, was a... Uh, You're a Canuck. Huh? I'm a Canuck, but I was only there for a few years. Uh, but I would say I was a Canuck anyway if, uh, Canuck was my, if I had Canuck blood. But actually, when I went back and did some research, because I was adopted in Canada, uh, I found out that both of my parents were actually Irish. Who and I know everyone's like claims to have some Irish in them, you know. But, but I found out you it's know, fashionable. I know it's <laughs> bullshit, but it's like you know, why would you want to be the Irish? <laughs> They've been like fucked with their whole lives. I think because it 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 uh, excuses a lot of uh, drunken behavior. Yeah, drunken behavior. It is yes. like fucked out a lot, lad. <laughs> what do you want? I'm Irish. Yeah, exactly. No, and they're well, they're. They saved civilization. What can you say? You know. Oh yeah, How, they did. How? You never read the uh, read the book? How the Irish saved civilization? No, I didn't. It Tell presents me a compelling argument that the uh, Irish monasteries were the last refuge of a lot of the great works of the classic world. You know, stuff by Aristotle and Plato and Socrates, and things that laid the foundation for the way we created the well, for Republic. For the Renaissance, when it came back. For the rena- yeah, for the Renaissance, for everything, right. and they would have had to relearn everything. Um, and after the library at Alexandria, which was the world's greatest library, had been destroyed and sacked for the third time. I mean, the place was so big, it took three times to get rid of it, to destroy everything. Right. Gradually, the writings, which were all copied by hand, right. made their way northwards, and they were put up and put in monasteries to guard them, even though a lot of the times the local uh, religious rulers or priests or whatever, because they were still trying to figure out their government after Rome fell, you know, they were, they were uh, heretical. Uh, uh, heresy, these works, but they still kept them anyway. And um, finally, as a, as a reference of what is heresy? Yeah, I mean, because that books used to be worth a lot more, and when they were scrolls, they were you know they were everything. They they were the com- they were the computers of the ancient mm-hmm. world, and the data they had hoard all ha- had on them was the hard drives of our world now. And you really have to wonder what's going to be around longer. Um, but anyway, blah blah blah. The, a lot of these documents found their ways to northern. Uh, monasteries and one of the only lands that wasn't completely overrun by vandals and Cathars and Mongols and all those fucking the Golden Horde and all, all those tribes that came out of the final you know after uh, the Romans had just finally given up on right. ever taming Europe you know they didn't have then the, the, the Mongol Horde crashed in they weren't like they didn't have their shit together to repel that. And Ireland, being that one little island way up there, was one of the only places where the monasteries were not sacked. Mm-hmm. And and they say the argument is uh, Irish saved civilization because we they saved their cla- most classic Irish literature. Catholics at that right, I guess. Yes, like, yeah, monks. That was a long story, but it was, it was a pretty interesting. It one. was definitely, definitely. But then the guy, the same guy who wrote that one. Wrote another story about how some other race civilization you saved them. You know, it's like how the Chinese saved them. It was a group effort. Yeah, it's just like you know, uh, Western civilization. We're the dummies' guide to whatever Mm -hmm. version of how every country in the world saved civilization. I think that shit that that, that's been interesting to me to think about lately. That like we think of like okay, everybody says the Roman Empire fell. And and that ended, but it didn't really end. It just broke up in all of these little countries of like you know France and England and uh, Italy and Spain and all of those. You know they were that were all part of the Roman Empire, and they all were speaking Latin. And they ended up well, not the English, but um, it, they ended up like you know doing their own bastardized versions of Latin and becoming their languages. And uh, and then um, today, so, when you're in Europe, you can wander around, and as long as it's written. You know, with English-looking letters, you can piece together any word. Right. And it's just, it seems so silly that everyone... And that's just... Uh, the, the the words are so the same in so many languages, mm-hmm. and it's just the local inflections that have caused words to be spelt differently. You know, and it goes the same with our names as well. And it's just like, it really makes you wonder if they should bring back Esperanza or something. You know? <laughs> some kind of group language. Yeah, get everyone on the same page here. Is that so hard to do? Well, yeah, it is kind of hard it to is. do. It is. People are attached to their languages. And Definitely. They're, you know, they're part of uh, their civil uh, pride, their, their traditions. So. And, you know, I like to keep people down with having a dominant language that isn't theirs, you know. Oh, exactly. Speak it's like English. 
Yeah, it's like we're glad they can't because they can't read the fine print on their restrictive labor contracts. Exactly. But uh, but that's the first criticism we use against them. They can't even speak our language. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, so we, I, I started to ask you about ancient history in uh, Richmond. So I be, I became aware of you as a member of Guar when I was like a you know, sophomore in college. But you've been around longer than that. But I, I started to make the connection uh, between you the dude that was around and the guy in the costume when i was probably about 20 19 20 years old and i remember there were some death piggy songs on the jukebox at the village like uh joey died today yeah <laughs> and what was it poet ground bees something uh, ground bee sound and it was uh joey died today and maybe minute to live and uh joey died today and ground bee sound that was the last joey a real dude did die today? I, it was Joey was me, and it was based on a game of Assassin. We used to play Assassin. It was like, oh yeah, you know, it was an old game. Yeah, uh, the used assassination to play call- game, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you would get a uh, you would get a a picture of a dude, and you had to kill that guy. Uh-huh. But everyone also got a picture. Someone got a picture of you, and you kill. And when you killed someone, you took the picture of the dude that they were after, and you went around and around. And we had a bunch of really good Assassin games, and then they got started getting out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, people in some of those games actually got killed. Some well, yeah, not on our those, campus, right? luckily. Right. But I knew things were. Uh, I was in Seven Eleven with my fake gun, and my friend Joe was standing outside with his fake submachine gun. And to any cop driving by, it must have looked like we were robbing the place, and right. they did. Mm. And they roll. I, I just turn around, I see Joe standing there, and he's got a gun to his head, a cop holding it, like this little tiny woman. At least you see, you know, Joe's Joe's this big, tall, like six five dude with this huge plumber's mustache, <laughs> huge mustache, like from the eighteen fifties, and he's holding this fucking plastic squirt gun. And then there's this little lady, like five five, pointing this shaking thirty eight <laughs> revolver at him. I was like, this has got to end, but it was a lot of fun. So that was the death of your character in in the assassination game. So uh, oh yeah, yeah, that was actually cl- uh, Joey was me and. Uh, yeah, his killer was Clint. I don't know if anyone remembers Clint. He was pretty much the only black guy in the Richmond hardcore scene. And, or Cliff. I can't remember. Cliff, Cliff. Cliff. Was he in a band? Or Cliff Farrar. Uh-huh. Yeah, he was great. He, I think he was in some band. But he, he was just, he had too much fun being a scene star to be in a band for long. He was, uh, he, and he didn't like me very much at first, but uh, we grew on each other definitely. He was a great guy. And that night, he shot me an assassin. Joey was the guy who died, Joey died today, was the guy who died in the car. And that was me. And I got shot. I was just driving off from outside of Rockets, and Cliff came running up and shot me through the window. I was like, I hate you. <laughs> That's a great song. It's a great song. So, uh, you came, did you come down here to go to VCU? Yes. Oh, yeah. I started out. I kind of missed VCU at first. I veered off into Farmville and went mm-hmm. to, uh, uh, I guess it's called Farmville. You don't know. No one would go. Um, well, Long now would? maybe they would with that Farmville game. Uh-huh, they yeah, probably would be might, like, oh, my God, this one's from school. I got to go there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's like you know, it was Longwood, right. and uh, I went out to Longwood for a year because they had supposedly had a really good art program. And then, like as I was at Longwood, I just kept noticing all this literature and people coming up from Richmond and talking about the VCU art scene and how much cooler it was. And you know, then I would lay, lay in my lo- dorm do- room at night, and I would hear the Klan having rallies <laughs> three blocks down the street in a used car lot, and I was just like, mm, maybe this isn't the place for me. So I started coming down here on weekends to have fun. So compared to Farmville, v- Richmond was a liberal and uh, forward-thinking progressive. Yeah, I mean, we were liberal and forward-thinking in farm in Farmville, too. There just wasn't as many of us. Mm-hmm. So we just got in trouble and destroyed things. And, uh, yeah, uh, breaking into buildings and vandalism was... Uh, was you know what we did chief forms of entertainment yeah we would fuck we would freaking uh, break into the dining hall and steal food that was like our big thing to do (laughs) we'd steal huge bags of donuts and those five gallon giant plastic things of milk you know that they fill those big (laughs) milk hoppers yeah the bags of milk and we set those things up and the whole floor would just be like "Ah." (laughs) sucking on the nipple (laughs) it was great (laughs) so what did you go to this is what 84 85 you were in college or is it you start uh, I start no. I start in eighty two. Yeah, I okay. waste a year at Longwood, and then I come to Richmond in. Uh, actually, no. I start. I start in eighty one at Longville, and I come to Richmond in eighty two. And what was your uh, 
your art medium? Uh, I was painting and printmaking, and uh, quite by accident, I ended up with a double minor in English and art history. So I had a wonderful curriculum. I just studied what I wanted to study. I really got in underneath uh, a lot of uh, kind of more stricter uh, academic guidelines that came into place later, mm-hmm. and I was really able to study just stuff that I really, really enjoyed. So, so I did well, and I didn't... Uh, you know, everyone else was flailing out madly trying to write art history research papers, yeah. and I was really enjoying writing them. And then one time, I remember our, our professor was like, all of you flunked this exam except for Mr. Brocky because all of you were up all night on pot. <laughs> and I was probably the only one in the class that was smoking pot. I'm so guess I guess that, that was Dr. Coplin. And that's no, no. Because you were the only one. <laughs> no, that was Mrs. Dr. Flynn, and that was in Long Longwood. And that was the only thing that Longwood had a really going for it was a great art history department, which really captured my imagination and really... You know, I was like, ah, I wish they taught me this stuff in high school. I was, I was ready to learn some art history in high school, but for some reason, they saved that for. Uh, you know, you might develop your own ideas if that ta- if they right. taught you art history in high school. And well, for I remember for a lot of people that came to VCU to go to you know for AFO, art history was the Achilles' heel because they were they had chosen art because they didn't want to write papers and read books. A, a lot of them. And uh, would do great in all of their other studio classes and all that stuff, but get to an art history class like Dr. Copland's and have a hard time with it. Um, you're not agreeing with that? You, you look. No, sorry. <laughs> I just uh, absolutely started thinking about something else. <laughs> Tell me, what were you sorry thinking about? about? That's no problem, man. This is an organic I was thinking, I, I, I just, you know, I'm terrible uh, uh, about being um about not listening to people sorry curse no, uh, i was just uh, playing with scenarios about some business things that are working out today <laughs> and wondering how it was going to go and what the best place to position myself in uh what for the upcoming struggle because that you know it's all about i, I apply military tactics to sure. business business propositions all the time the art and, of war uh, yeah the art of war and there's like a there's a, a there's a large confrontation on the horizon it's, it's like <laughs> that's what business is all about it's all series of confrontations and re- resulting negotiate negotiations yeah that's what war is all about it's a series of battles and then the disengagement from those battles to get back to not being a battle because sure. battles suck. You know? yeah. Well, you would talk, talk about Western civilization or like we were talking about before. Civilization exists so that we can do it this way instead of doing it with knives and guns. Right. And all it's of like, and, but shit, we right? continually have to like remind ourselves that war is terrible in order right. to give our politics any tooth. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, we can do it this way if you want. Boom. Right. Right. You know, bodies are flying That's everywhere. When negotiations break and down. Then they're like, they're like, okay. <laughs> You know, maybe we can talk it out. But sometimes uh, people show considerable resolution in war, and they mm-hmm. show considerable ability to take punishment. Yeah. And that's when you have wars that they go have on a lot for of meat years for the and years. They, you know. Well, it just scares the heck out of me. They still are talking about our war on terror like it's like a continual thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's basically still going on, and it always will be going on. Yeah. And it was never declared... It was never. It was just foisted on us, and I'm not saying that there weren't good reasons to go after people's heads, mm-hmm. but to have a a war against terror that is just gonna. I mean, wow. Well, you know, I'm it's used to fighting wars against Germany. This war on terror. It's, just it's like how do you fight an idea? How do you declare? How do you declare war on an idea? You can't. It's ludicrous, and uh, uh, the. The what they're I mean what we're always fighting about what are people really always fighting about is resources it's like you got more than me I need what you got if you're not going to share it with me then I got to come over there and take it from you and then you know in in the old days you just you fought over that you know you like and and then when when it got to be too many people in Europe that might start taking it from the guys that were running shit they sent them over to the you know the Middle East to fight the Crusades send that and then they started fighting over ideas they said yeah we got to take back the Holy Land get these guys out of here let them let them fucking fight over there and die because otherwise you're gonna stick around here and come at me with uh, pitchforks and torches you know so we go in and out of being able to solve these conflicts are basically over wealth and resources and shit like that either but we'll go I, if we're, if, <laughs> or, even if wealth and resource if wealth and resources are fine We'll go at them for just uh, ideologically, and a lot of people will mm-hmm. say, "Well, the uh, the Muslims picked picked the Crusades, kind of right. picked the fight because right. they just kept invading Europe mm-hmm. repeatedly, through, you know, before the 10th century." And it's true, um, sure. but you know, and so then we basically we felt we had to the Western world felt we had to strike back at their heart, mm-hmm. and then you get this incredible collision of the 
religions in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and it's really the center of the of the universe for you know three fourths of the planet. You know, mm-hmm. at least the religious the, or the, the religious or the spiritual heart, mm-hmm. all in one city. Now, mm-hmm. if if that to me. If that should be taken as a lesson that men and women of all creeds and colors need to live in peace, because guess yeah. what? You're whole, you have to share a holy city. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So let's all get together on this. If there wasn't ever a truth that, like, all religions should get along, then Jesus wouldn't be a Jew. Exactly. <laughs> 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 it's like, oh, we're Catholics, and blah, 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 this, that. Uh, oh, hail Hitler. You should have killed all the Jews yeah. uh, except Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and really, I mean, Jesus came along to expand the message of like whatever the fuck Judaism was at that time. He was like, you know, this is this was a good basis, a good template, but I got we got to expand a little. We're living in city states now. We're not wandering around in the desert. Jesus threw anymore. down the temple. He denounced the temple. Yeah. He denied. He denounced all the all there. the. He denounced the Jewish Pope, right? Whatever you want to call him, you know. Well, it's just yeah, like, what uh, was that anyway? The Caiaphas, Rabbi. I don't know what they. Well, it's all above I, Rabbi. I get. I got most of that. my Jesus history from Jesus Christ Superstar. So, oh, I, yeah. like, I, I find the I found the Bible to be way too stodgy. Yeah, so. yeah. I Jesus, prefer Monty Python. But yeah, <laughs> that was a good one too. <laughs> Required religious study. So came to VCU. Um, did you? And I, I agree that. I don't know if you're saying this about VCU or you're saying it about Longwood, but there was a great education to be had at VCU if you you kind of made your own curriculum and you picked and choose from the great professors there and all the other stuff that was going on. Did you find that? Did you do the same thing? Um, no, I got, yeah. Uh, at, after the second or third year, yeah, definitely. Uh, first year, no. I was just kind of thrown into Art Foundation and just, you know, had to figure it out. Uh, I found, like, none of my credits transferred, except my art history credits. <laughs> and... Uh, so I basically was starting to go all over again in a freshman year, and it took me about a year to figure out, you know, what what professors I wanted to go after. But I, I had great professors all through uh, the VCU period. It was great, especially Doctor Kavorkian. I don't know if <laughs> anyone remembers Mad Doctor Kavorkian, uh, the painting instructor, but he was great. Uh, just a crazy, uh, I believe Armenian. Big, tall, googly-eyed, big, giant mustache, very passionate, total abstract expressionist, and he opened that whole door up to me to the point where, for a little while, I was convinced I, I could be the next Jackson Pollock, you know? Mm-hmm. It was like I was mixing my own paint and throwing it around all over the floor, and it was a lot of fun, but... uh it certainly, yeah, it tricked me into thinking I could make it as a fine artist for a while, but it wasn't until I actually got out of school and was faced with the harsh reality of making a living, I realized just uh, how unlikely that was going to be. Yeah. That was. That just takes years and years and years. And a lot, and a lot of luck and various other things. All kinds of stuff. What? Ha- so how did uh, you start playing music? And, and so Death Piggy was not your first band? It was. Just oh, no, God. I've been in bands forever. Bands were always the thing I did for fun on the side just with my friends just to have a good time we started way back in high school uh i think the first band i ever designed was the rock and roll priests which was a bunch of priests that were played in a band i always there was always like an idea there was always like a some kind of plot or not plot or but some kind of character a character something like that what do you what do you you call that i I don't know right costume rock you know right right. like uh you know the tubes or or devo or alice cooper or any any of the millions of artists that have like worn you know and some people all all rock and rollers wear costumes some of them settle for for more traditional ones like Mm -hmm. band t-shirts and skinny pants you know right Right, leather jackets and hair combed a certain way it's still a costume it's still a rock and roll persona uniform so fuck it why not just everybody yeah yeah. so we're we're making fun of that but at the same time we're embracing it just taking it to another level but so yeah the rock and roll priests then my first uh punk rock band nuclear dog shit then my first (laughs) experimental band yams on wheels then uh <laughs> then my first real band the suburbans then ah. then it changed and kind of became a Led Zeppelin cover band as well because they <laughs> added this really good guitar player that because I was a terrible guitar player. I could play Ramones covers good enough, and that's all I wanted the Suburbans mm-hmm. to ever do. But no, they wanted to win the Battle of the Bands. So they changed it to the Suburban Punks, which I just <laughs> thought was so stupid. And uh, and I played with them for a while, and then I went to Longwood, and I had a band called The Flashbacks, and we had an actual original like 15-minute set of hardcore stuff. And then we would play police covers because that's what the bass player wanted to do. <laughs> and then finally in uh, Richmond, I rehooked up with Sean Sumner, who was a buddy of mine from D.C. And um, 
he uh, was going to VCU, and he was one of the reasons. He's like, uh, I saw him up in D.C. at a show, and he's like, you should go to Richmond. I'm going to Richmond next year. I'm like, yeah, I'm transferring to Richmond next year. And he was like, well, let's get a band together. And I was like, great. And that was Death Piggy, and that's how it started. So what I, what I uh, and I could be totally wrong about this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. I always think of like there was the, there was some space around the corner on Gray Street where it was like a sculpture studio or, or a VCU sculpture workshop that was like around the corner from Station Break there on, uh, I don't remember what side street it was on. but The Skull like, Sculpture Department? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, was yeah. Is that where it was? So were, what I remember is you guys were, were you guys practicing in that building as Death Piggy? Is that how it? Sometimes we would, yeah. yeah. They had. They had this whole big like sculpture, uh, the big room. Everyone got like a little booth in it, mm-hmm. and like some people went as far as to build little walls for their booths. So, and we like we run in there with our amps and <laughs> practice for like twenty minutes until someone kicked us out. But um, that was also yeah. Sean had a booth in there. Sean was in the sculpture department. So and that place was just the greatest, you know, completely rotting old Richmond warehouse. You know, it looked like hell. Uh, just taking over. Well, it was a VCU building, but it wasn't certainly nothing like the, the new VCU art buildings, which looks like <laughs> it's like you could have brain surgery in them, no problem. Uh, the old buildings were just a wreck, and uh, the painting department was actually stuck behind the gym in these three little buildings, three little uh, uh, classroom kind of things, and uh, that was the whole freaking painting department. And well, you don't long- need much to have a painting department, honestly. You need a room with light, and you need a good instructor. And that's right. about it. And that's what we had. Yeah. How, how long did you do the Death Piggy thing and um, before it became... And it went straight from that to Guar, right? Yeah. I mean, it kind of... There was some overlap. It's like Death Piggy went for a good three, four years. and um, Then Sean and Bre- uh, Russ, the guys who were in the band with me, they kind of started getting interested in some different things. De- Death Piggy was sort of kind of losing its appeal. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like people were getting used to the maniac with the, you know, mayonnaise all down his pants, screaming and yelling. <laughs> And uh, but it was still a really good band. I, I, both Russ and Sean were really good musicians. I can play a, a passable bass. I hadn't got into the stage of my career yet where I was just completely uh, convinced I could play guitar, and I can't. I'm terrible at it. And um, so it was like it, there was a little overlap there as I kind of realized that Guar was like going to be a lot more successful. But in order to do that, I was going to need a band that took it seriously. Mm-hmm. And the guys in Death Peak were just kind of filling in. Uh, and getting less interested in Death Piggy, less interested in Guar, and we're just kind of doing, you know, doing it as a favor to me, and you know, that sucked. So. I always I, I describe it to other people uh, that you know back in the day was it was like you got the chocolate and the peanut butter that like D- Death Piggy met sculptors in the sculpture building, or you guys were already friends, but decided to pool two different things that were going on. There was performance art going on, and there was a band, and you put the two things together. Do I got that right, or was yeah. it? Yeah. Well, no, no, that would be, yeah, that was that was Guar, definitely. That's what Guar was all about, but, uh, and, and Death Piggy still to a certain extent, yeah, definitely. I, I wanted to, um, I met Russ, the guitar player, when I was down here in Richmond, and uh, at, uh, at a hard rock show, at a, hard, at a punk rock show. And uh, he just kind of fit, seemed to fit the irreverent nature of the band. He didn't look like a punk rocker, mm-hmm. you know. He uh, he had long hair and a stupid-looking shirt, and he did, he wasn't trying to dress up like a hardcore dude. Neither was Sean. I was the only one doing that. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm the front <laughs> man, so cool, I'll dress up like a punk. But it's like, I really felt like I was a punk. It was like, if it was a uniform, fine. It was a uniform that was actually still disturbing to people. It wasn't, fas- <laughs> it wasn't fashionable. And it was certainly uh, not popular. Yes, yeah, know, in the early 80s. Yeah, yeah. try going to school. Freshman. Try going to fucking high school dressed like that. Once you get mm-hmm. to college, you're okay. You know, you people, you can go, you can act crazy in college, and everything's fine. And in fact, there was many times when acting crazy uh, saved my life in Richmond, from especially from the local population, because uh, they didn't know what punk rockers looked like, and there were periods when i was about to get jumped and then they were just kind of like what the guy uh, didn't know what to make of the freak just leave him alone it's a crazy white boy (laughs) syndrome they said it can work for you so there was it wasn't like what i thought was it like death piggy sort of collided with an existing sort of uh group of people that were making costumes and doing performance art kind of shit at sculptors and whatever exactly yeah exactly you guys mixed the two things together and yeah uh uh-huh that's exactly what happened i was uh Death Piggy was practicing in the old Richmond Dairy, and Hunter Jackson and Charles Varga, and he's he uh, was building this crazy all these sets and props and costumes for this crazy uh, movie that he wanted to do for, uh, and he was going to call it Scum Dogs in the Universe, ah. and I was like, 
I was like, that's great. That's awesome. Um, and I would go over there and help them out, you know, spread some cloth and glue around because they didn't know what latex rubber was back then. And, um, you know, but gradually I kind of got the idea. I was like, God, uh, they've got the costumes all made for this movie. They're obviously going to be working on this set because they were building the whole like interior of like a spaceship. And I was like, they're going to be working on this set for the next 10 years. I'm like, we got to do something with these costumes now. It's like, Hunter, let me borrow the costumes, put them on Death Piggy, and we'll create a band that kind of opens for Death Piggy called Guar. And uh, what do you think? And he was like, sure. And he would be bagged up all the costumes gave them to us in plastic bags and he, we'd take them off down to the show we'd wear them for two or three songs we'd play horrible music just we just let the guitars feed back then we'd march off stage and then Death Peaky would come back like who were those guys you know and it was really funny but like after we did it like three times every time the Guar show got more and more intense and the songs got to the point where they were actually songs mm-hmm. and it was still completely retarded and obnoxious and I was still playing guitar which sounded terrible but it was getting more popular, and Death Piggy was losing its totally losing uh, the war. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd go out there, we'd do Guar, and it'd be 300 people smashed into the club, and then we'd run off, come back as Death Piggy, there'd be 30. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, ah. So I was happy, but I was actually pissed at the same time. <laughs> well, look, you, uh, we're at two minutes before the conference call. Okay, great. Yeah. And then we'll come back. Come back. We'll do part two. This shouldn't. All right. So, uh, talk we- about soon. We were back to where uh, Death Piggy morphed into Guar. And One sec. God, I didn't even have to pause that, really. All right, so uh, Guar started uh, to be more popular than Death Piggy at the shows. Uh, jog your memory, that's what we were talking about. So then started working on that full-time. I wanted to ask you, what the hell happened? Uh, is Hunter in- still involved? No. Hunter, you know, he was one of those uh, people that was in the... Uh that was totally crucial for making Guar happen, and uh, he just never had, he never played well with others, you know? It was always his baby, and then when he saw it was going in a direction that he hadn't planned for it to go, he at first didn't want anything to do with it, uh, but then when he saw that it was going to happen, whether he was involved or not, he got re-involved with it, and of course, we had no idea, Uh you know, the seething turbulence of Hunter's brain. And so we welcomed him back with open arms and always gave him a lead role in what was going on. Techno Destructo. Yeah, Techno Destructo. And on the tours that he was techno, he was the big arch villain. And on the tours that he didn't go on, he was uh, either, well, either he'd go on tour as a slave or he would, uh, or he wouldn't go on tour and he would stay at home and work on the Slave Pit publicity department and the Slave Pit comics and all that stuff. And uh, we thought everything was fine until basically we found out one day that he wasn't fine and he wasn't happy with the way things were going and and he basically quit. Uh, The story will be considerably juicier and gorier if Hunter tells it, but Mm -hmm. that's what I remember happening. And uh, to this day, he's he's the only Guar member that we don't really have regular communication with, but he still plays the Techno Destructo part out there in some weird wrestling league (laughs) in California. So wishing him the best no matter what, and uh, he's probably working in some artificial limb manufacturing company. (laughs) I see the Techno costume him all tattered and shit like he hasn't really re-upped it yet he's just been taking yeah it it's basically it's like- probably the exact same one that he's had for, you know for freaking 20 years but uh you know he guar never would have happened without hunter and uh and we'll owe him an eternal debt for that one of the uh, when i became aware really i mean i i there was a newspaper article in the times dispatch i think when i was probably 14 about you guys but then when i got to vcu and started you know kind of seeing you guys around and, and saw a show at the metro i think i i started to really appreciate it and get into it plus i listened to scum dogs the universe on acid and actually became to appreciate the music as well which is <laughs> surprising <laughs> that would be uh <laughs> that's not the kind of thing you think of as uh, listening to i had a horrible but. hilarious experience at uh, san diego comic-con last week i was Sitting there, I had my big odorous costume in my, in my hockey bag. I've been doing a bunch of odorous appearances. I have like uh, one odorous costume that's just for shows, and I have one that's just for appearances because 
I, if I was wearing the show costume at the appearances one, oh, it smelled so bad. Right, right. So uh, I'm not so quite so smelly when I do San Diego Comic Con. But anyway, this guy comes up. He's like, uh, he sees uh, one of the guys I'm hanging out with has got an odorous button. He's like, is that odorous, Chirungus, man? Oh, odorous, Chirungus, Aguar. Oh, man. Man, they are one of the greatest live bands ever. And I'm standing there going, yeah. And he's like, yeah, man, but their music fucking sucks. I was just like, oh. I looked at the two guys, the guys I was hanging out with. They were just looking at totally unreadable expression, just like a media mixture of pity and hilarity. And just like, oh, my God, I can't believe he just said that. And... um then he went on to reel off about eight different Guar songs. He's like, oh, yeah, man, Pegnatek and Ragnarok and I Hate Love Songs. It's mm-hmm. just like, I get a feeling he really did like our music. He was just... There seems to be this party line that you're supposed to say that, but like... The, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I hate Guar. Their music's terrible, but they have a great show. Right. But like, if you went to a Guar show and they, the only sound you heard was like rubber boots stomping around and liquid gushing, I don't think people would come back. No, but I, I, I seriously, I mean, I'm not saying that, I'm, that it's tripping on acid when I listen to that record is what made it good but it got my attention because of all the weird noises on it and then i really liked it and i listened to it in the early 90s like i was listening to any other metal record that i liked at that point and i really dug those songs and i became really into what you guys were doing at that point because it fit in with my sophomoric like desire to uh, comment on society and everything that like i thought you guys were finding a sophisticated yet silly way to uh, talk about politics and social shit and have fun with it. Also, to have that cathartic, like, I don't want to talk to this guy. I just want to cut his fucking head off, you know, or disembowel him. Yeah, it's the most obvious form of symbolism. But on Mm. the records, we got a lot more intense with it, you know? We really were very educated and really went after, especially when, before samples were prevalent, you know, mm-hmm. we really went after stuff. We had to go find the records and make mm-hmm. the samples ourselves, mm-hmm. get permission to use them if they were longer than a certain amount of time. And, uh, you know, it was a lot more difficult. You just couldn't throw, oh, I'll grab a beat here and a bass line here and some hi-hat here. And, oh, now we got a song. Mm-hmm. Oh, I produced that. <laughs> what, a, <laughs> what a joke. I mean, we really had to work hard. And plus we were recording everything to tape. So, you know, that was like definitely a much more intense process. And, um, yeah, I remember when the first like uh, digital hard drives came out that had the um, ability to whole, have a whole record on it. Mm-hmm. That just blew me away. I was yeah. like, what? <laughs> it was like this box that by today's standards is ridiculously large. Right. But 10 years ago. You could fit a thousand records. Right. On when YouTube, uh, when YouTube recorded all that you can't leave behind on one. Everyone was like, what? <laughs> How did, or no, beautiful. actually, it was Beautiful Day was the first one. And then like two years later, we were using one. I'm like, how can we be using the same thing that YouTube just used two years? I mean, you, uh, you two just used two years ago. They're like, because it's devalued that much because they've got things that are 20 times it. better now. Yeah. Yeah. You could fit like several, a, a bunch of records on a thumb drive now. Yeah. Like, it's you know. amazing that you, you to see it come back around, like to be in the business since before there were records i mean before there were cds and now cds are starting to become unfashionable mm-hmm. or, or or not practical as everything is just downloaded digitally yeah yeah and uh, and strangely enough albums vinyl is coming back and this is a an interesting like segue into like you know a lot of artists gotten fucked by that but you guys were always road dogs you were always out there making your money on tour that was like really what supported the band not selling records right so has this the digital so-called revolution or digital uh, apocalypse depending on your perspective how has that affected Guar is it like you know it's helped us and it's hurt us we went from selling a lot of records and making a lot of money off of selling records to basically selling no records mm-hmm. you know uh, our budgets went down on everything we stopped being able to make things like like Phallus in Wonderland and Skullhead Face because these are videos yeah mm-hmm. long form videos that we could take the profits from our, our music video our, our records from mm-hmm. you know we'd sell 100,000 copies of Scum Dogs of the Universe and we'd take the publishing money from that we'd make a movie to go with it mm-hmm. um, and, and it was like that for about three records and then uh, piracy uh, of music became real prevalent and boom all of a sudden we were selling 20,000 records 30,000 records and it's just it had a huge impact our our economy shrank to 70% wow yeah so it was just like what, what's the answer then uh, well somehow you gotta find a way to make money off the internet and you yeah. can do that so yeah. we've tried to just uh, 
use it as much as possible to sell stuff and use it as a free advertising platform. But, yeah, the internet definitely took away a lot more than it gave. Yeah, so far. So far. There's so maybe far. There are untapped ways that you guys can... Because I see you got a Twitter feed. Like, there's... Um, there's an odorous Twitter account. Yeah, right? and it's and my clout is like 81 or something. This is pretty funny. But uh, how many followers you got? And you got any? You got idea? 30. They're over over 30,000. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of people to get to do your bidding. Yeah, and they there there's no <laughs> they do my bidding as well. <laughs> Anybody who ever writes any shit about me, I like flame them so fast. I just throw, I'm like, hey, hey, check out what Joey Joey Jobalobes from Battle Creek said mm-hmm. about our latest album, and then they're just like within like five minutes, they're just begging for mercy. Please stop tweeting <laughs> me. I'm sorry, Odorous. I didn't mean it. It's awesome. Like the the wars that were you know that could be fought physically. I mean, this is. This is great. You can go on there and just do it personality wise through the internet. You know, you can you can wield as much power through you know all of these your armies of of, of trolls out there. Yeah. So you mentioned San Diego Comic Con. I've I've kind of grown into more nerdiness in my old age, and that seems like an awesome place to go. Do you enjoy going there? Is it is it done only? For, I mean, are there still Guar Comics, or is this just to promote? No, no, there's no Guar Comics right now. We're making a guest appearance in a really cool comic book called uh, Miss Katonic. She's like this female superhero, evil dream creature thing, and she's kind of uh, at war with Guar for control of Earth in the, in the first issue of her new comic, which is really awesome. But we do not have, uh, and also we are, we're, Matt, one of our slaves, is working on a, a Guar comic right now. But we haven't done a Guar comic for a long time because we ended up with gigantic boxes full of Guar comics mm. that we lugged everywhere and mm. sold very slow. And, uh, you know, spent a lot of money getting them made. And it seemed more like a vanity project yeah. than something that was really wor- worth money. But now, you know, you can publish that stuff on the Internet. Just mm. download it, right. you know. Pay uh pay a buck fifty. No overhead for publishing. Exactly. And paper and distribution and all exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Not everybody wants to read a comic book like that, but a lot of people do want to read it on their tablets. So what do you and do stuff. at San Diego Comic Con? I do panels. I actually the big reason I'm there and the reason they paid for me to be there this year was uh, for the last two years I've been on a sitcom on Fearnet called. Uh, Holliston, and it's basically about a bunch of horror movie and, well, two horror movie heavy metal nerds who are tr- run a uh, cable access company, or at least they do a show on a cable access company, and their dream of going to Hollywood and becoming uh, famous movie star directors, uh, you know, is what what the show's all about. And I live, I as Odorous, play the uh, lead character's uh, like imaginary friend that only he can see. So it's kind of like that thing that the, that uh, Elijah Wood is doing with with the dog, with the dog Rick, uh, Wilfred. Wilfred, uh-huh. right? But it's odorous instead. So but do you uh, give him advice. Is it like also like Elvis talking to Christian Slater in uh, True Romance? Yeah. Like oh, exactly. Telling him to murder people and stuff. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Sweet. Telling him to be a man and stand up for himself. And while he's at it, bring me back some Skittles and just <laughs> make a bunch of idiotic reference called pop culture references. And then I go back in the closet. So it's it's about two minutes per episode, and it's really awesome. Do you do you write? This stuff, or do you have other other? No, uh, Adam Green, the guy who came up with the show, and uh, he stars in it. It's kind of l- r- roughly based in his on his life, even to the point of Odors as, as his imaginary friend, because he's been a Guar fan since he was like eight years old. Um, he writes it all, and uh, he's one of the few guys out there that can write Odorous. Now, granted, I don't, he doesn't have me uh, ripping enough people's heads off, mm. but it still happens every now and then. It has then. to be a little more subtle. Yeah, he has got to be a little more subtle because i, I got to tuck the cuttlefish and, uh, and not be my regular Randy self out there. Mm. Uh, okay, so the panels at Comic-Con are mainly to, to promote that show? Or? Yeah, I did a panel, then I did an out-of-character podcast. Uh, then I did a big long uh, autograph session, and then I did a big uh, question and answer session, and then a lot of time was just spent wandering around in the odorous costume, posing for pictures with people, just so people get a uh, a sense that Guar is there. Mm-hmm. You know, that Guar is part of the biggest comic convention in the United States, mm-hmm. and uh, that's uh, really cool. Do you uh, geek out for anything that you see there? Is there any? Do you have there was own? a lot of cool stuff, but no, nah, I didn't really geek out on anything particular. I have very uh, specific tastes. There were a few things I was looking for, and I have no doubt that if I'd spent long enough looking, I would have fi- found everything I, that would have geeked me out and more. But unfortunately, I don't. I didn't have any time 
to wander around the convention and have fun. I was literally like in my costume from like nine in the morning till nine at night. And uh, yeah, I mean, they give me little rests. I get to go back to my little safe room and sit there and drink a couple beers and <laughs> hydrate and drink some water and eat some food. And then it's like, okay, Mr. Rungus, you're out the door in five minutes. And then the little phalanx of security guards will walk me through the bowels of whatever ent- entertainment complex or convention center we're part of. Boom, I pop up, and then there's a room full of people. So it's crazy. It's absolutely oh, wow. crazy. So you're, you're not you're kind of shielded. You're shielded from the nerds, but you're also shielded from getting to be a nerd while you're. Yes, there. exactly. Oh. Yeah. It, so the celebrity status has its uh, its ups and downs. You know, the good thing about being odorous is that I can take the odorous costume off and just have my little badge and still get all the perks, but don't have to worry about any of the people recognizing me. So you've been at this career now for. Uh, 30 is this is it fucking 30 years no not yet we're at 20 we're at 28 years with guar but i've been i've been an artist and a provocateur uh ever since i was probably about 14 years old so i mean yeah this is my career you're making a living at this and i didn't start making a living until probably about 20 i was 26 or so yeah that's still that you 20 years of making or more of uh making a living as a as a guy in a costume playing rock and roll and you do this out of Richmond, Virginia, which most people like to say sucks. And that's another thing that rolls off the tongue, like, Guar's a great show, bad music. Richmond is, you know, Richmond sucks. But I don't think it does. I think you, it gives you a lot of leeway to do what you do out of here as a home base. And well, it's because Richmond sucked <laughs> that Guar started. I mean, when Guar started, we, uh, the Richmond was a scary city to live in. It was a tremendous amount of crime racial tension the streets were not safe students vcu students were murdered routinely (laughs) in the goriest of ways and we lived in an abandoned milk bottling factory in the middle of a ghetto Mm. Uh, and the only reason that we survived there is because the locals were terrified of us Uh, (laughs) if they had just pierced our white facade for one moment and saw that we were just a bunch of Pimply faced Tina. Yeah, that would have crumbled pretty quick. But it didn't. We were able to, we were always good actors, and uh, that saved our asses. And because, but, but with that kind of uh, hostility, there was a great openness. It was, it was a, a empty playing field, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with, except for the occasional transvestite and mugger. You know, mm-hmm. you, could, uh, you could pretty much do whatever you wanted. And, uh, and, uh, and at the same time, we had all of our art t- teachers telling us that we couldn't do it. Yeah. Oh, that's not art. Those comer- those comic books aren't art. You know, that's different. You're wasting your time, you know? Mm-hmm. You should be throwing your paint at the easel from halfway across the room, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Dribbling house paint on Dribbling house on paint floor. on your sneakers and then smoking <laughs> cigarettes and throwing the butts into it, you know? It's like, that's true art. The yeah. whole thing as a package is the most is totally fu- it's got it, it covers all the bases like it's it's it is abstract expressionism it is uh, it is subversive literature it, it it's uh, rebellious music it's performance art I mean you got to roll all of the shit into one with this this band I mean there's there's high minded and lowbrow it's uh, it's like um, it's entertaining it's cathartic I mean you got it's it's really you kind of got a Get the whole buffet going for it. Yeah, you. and that's why people like Guars because there's always something for them to latch on to. Mm-hmm. You know, a little something for everybody. Little something for everybody, and that's that. W- that's the way it was created by all the artists. They really, uh, everybody brought something different to the table. Yeah, it's a team effort. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of um, little something for everybody, I noticed that we've got a barbecue coming up. Oh yeah. You know, and I'll probably put this podcast out like right maybe that week before that or a couple weeks before that. I was. Yeah, I put it up a couple weeks before because I got to plug my other event as well. Yeah, and that was what I was actually originally planning because I just talked to Kathleen Brady from Secretly all last okay. two nights ago. So I'm going to put it out before that. Great. And uh, so we're going to talk about that a little bit in barbecue, and then we'll uh, you know sure great. I'll let you go. Oh, great, yeah. No, talk about those <laughs> things and then... Oh, okay, I, right. Okay, uh, about six months with y'all, uh, six months ago, I got involved with the secret y'all, Secretly Y'all people uh, through Chris Bobst and, and Lanny Gratz over at uh, Balso. And uh, they told me it was a storytelling group, and I was just like, I said, I'll do it. And I was like, here at Slate Pit one night, I got this phone call, and Bobst was like, where are you? 
I'm like, I'm here in sleep. And he's like, dude, you're supposed to be on stage in like five minutes. So I was like, oh, no. So I ran over there, whipped a story out of my ass and told it. And it went over really well. Next thing I knew, they were asking me to do a thing at the Virginia Fine, uh, Virginia at the museum. Fine, yeah. yeah. And I did something really vile there. But it went over really well. I mean, it was the first time I performed, I think, to an audience. It was mostly like people over 50, you know, and um, it was hilarious. And so I talked him into letting me do uh, a solo story night. And the solo story night is uh, it's called To the Volga and Back. And it's a story, true story about the, a trip I took this year to Volgograd, Russia, which used to go by the name of Stalingrad, which you might be familiar with, as it was the scene of probably the most horrible thing that ever happened on the face of the of the planet Earth. Um, the siege of Stalingrad? The siege and battle, uh, the whole battle of Stalingrad, and especially the siege aspect of it, yeah, was... Uh, in terms of human life, two at the they think at least two million dead, definitely the the most costly God. battle level ever, and it was definitely the battle as much as people here in the West are told that D Day and Eisenhower, you know, we saved the British World War Two. Well, without our Russian buddies uh, who engaged and destroyed eighty percent of Hitler's war machine and lost over twenty five billion people in doing it, um, we never would have won that war. And at Stalingrad, the are staggering. The, yeah, and and Stalingrad is where they broke the back of of the Nazis. It's where they defeated and annihilated the German Sixth Army, uh, their most powerful army that had never known defeat. And uh, it was the furthest part point the Rus the uh, Germans got into Russia. And after they were defeated at Stalingrad, it was just a long road back to Berlin. Mm. Uh, and, and so it, the, the place has always fascinated me. And um, uh, about five years ago, um, a good friend from Europe, my buddy Erwin, he's like, we are going. You know, and he's not from Europe. He's from Europe. You know, it's so funny. I love the way they talk. But uh, he's like, we're going to go. And uh, he, he arranged like the whole thing. <coughs> you know, and like the last year has been frantic. Uh, frantic uh, preparation and then you know the day getting closer and closer and then finally boom it was there we flew I went up to DC picked up my buddy Adam flew to Amsterdam hung around in Amsterdam a little bit then flew to Moscow then took a train two days east all the way out to uh, Volgograd, which is now called Stalin. Well, you just called Stalingrad, and don't tell too much of the story now. No, no, but it's just okay. the, the the craziest thing about it is like. And Erwin claims this is a complete accident. Uh, and being a Dutchman, even if he won't tell me the truth, because Dutch people are very, they very close to cards, close to chess people, but uh, tech turn people. But um, it was the 70th anniversary of the uh, surrendering of the German troops. Oh, just shit. happened to be right then. And we were just like, wow. Well, if you want to hear more of this story, you have to come to the event at Balasso. Yes, right. so I've got I've got all I've got the whole story, every gory detail, and tons of pictures, and it should be really great. And then barbecue coming up, and this is happening at Haddad's. Uh, what do you the fuck is that? The Redneck Water Park. That is the Redneck Riviera here yeah. in Richmond, Virginia. It's a great place. It's a total like seventy Scott style water park, and uh, they used to do Best Friends Day out there for many years. I know we've all had tons of fun doing that, and uh, the barbecue is just kind of they got sick of doing Best Friends Day, and we were just kind of like. Hell, let's do a barbecue. Let's, and and uh, we've already been always doing done barbecues. I know you came to some of those old yeah, barbecues on they're, Hull Street. I think. On Hull, yeah, they're yeah. great parties. And yeah. uh, and uh, so this is like getting bigger and bigger every year. This is the fourth annual one. Uh, of course, Guar is playing, and then there's just a tons of other shit ton of other metal shit bands. ton. Of, uh, have, I saw Vulture. Uh, what else? Municipal Waste is playing. Yeah, uh, Coc for the old timers. Is this is this Coc Sands Pepper Keenan the Mike Dean and yeah, uh, yeah the this the is the Mike Dean Animal. Roller. Yeah, yeah, that's always been my favorite COC yeah, yeah. record. You know, I all that other stuff later was never really my favorite, but um, but it's there still. Hey, hats off to any band, working band, period. And I'm not just talking about working hardcore band. These guys that are in their fifties now yeah, still yeah, playing. Yeah, you know, I'm talking about the, the Triple Rock recently. It was a good show. I'm talking about the stuff, damn yeah. Oak Ridge Boys. You know, yeah, anybody yeah. who's out there playing music <laughs> for a living and making it, doing what they love, hats off to them. It shouldn't be as hard as it is to make a freaking living doing that kind of stuff. And uh, it's what thirty bucks uh, tickets. Where can you get them? Thirty bucks, and you order them online at www.barbecue.net, or I think you can also pick them up at Plan Nine. And uh, is there any anybody wants to follow uh, you on Twitter? What is your Twitter? The name? real odorous 
at twitter.com, I guess. The real or the real odorous, because there's some fake odoruses out there. Motherfucker. Oh my god. And like, yeah, I won't say anything for like three or four days and then I'll just let loose with a volley of hatred that just <laughs> really I've really been having a lot of fun with it lately. Uh the George Zimmerman case was huge, oh, so yeah. Odorous had a lot of choice stuff to say about that. <laughs> and actually, Odorous is getting ready to go visit the Redskins training camp, so oh, that should be pretty good, yeah. too. Excellent. Uh, anything else you want? Any other social stuff you want to plug? Well, of course, there's Aguar, there's okay. Aguar official Facebook page. Uh, if you look up Maggot Master on Tumblr, that's my Tumblr feed. And that's kind of a cool one because Tumblr is cool because it kind of mushes together all social media. Mm -hmm. And I use it to provide an out-of-character, behind-the-scenes look at what's going on in the slave pit. Right on. And uh, that's really cool and inspiring to a lot of artists. And a lot of, you know, I'm not in it for the money, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, in fact, actually, I'm proud to say I just blew my last little chunk of my inheritance. So it's like I'm finally back to the penniless artist. You were a I trust was. fund kid? No, no, no. no. Just I just, I just, when my mom died, we, we, we sold the house. We gave some to charity. We gave some to some relatives. And then I had a little bit left for myself. So for a little while there, I actually had money in the bank. And I'm just proud. To, but I never, so funny, I never felt right. Mm -hmm. Having money in the bank. And yeah. anytime I had a chance to spend it, I was like, hell yeah. Get I'll this go, out of here. I'll go to fucking Mexico. What the shit? Well, in, in, in the terms of inspiration, as far as you're talking about, it's inspiring That's other the artists. That's payoff I mean, for me. It yeah. really is. You, you, I mean, the, this unrealistic expectation of being a rock star, of like sitting back and collecting royalties, they, that had a brief window. That's over. And we do collect, for we do collect royalties, and we've been smart enough to set up our. our uh, corporate charter where even the guys that haven't been in Guarant for years get money. Wow. Yeah, I mean we've definitely... It's that's a foundation. Why, yeah, it's a really good... It's like basically I can't give away the corporate details too much, but basically if you work a cycle, a record, a tour, you get a little chunk of the business that wow. represents that part. And and then every year when we have, if when things recoup and there's extra money, mm -hmm. we cut it up to based on what kind of percentages you own in the company. And then people get checks every January. Wow. And I'm fucking, that's like what I'm most proud of is, you know, even like guys who maybe thought Guar should have been something else or were mad that I was the lead singer or whatever, they get a check every year. Yeah. That's and they awesome. sign it. They have to. They put that. That goddamn Brody. <laughs> <laughs> Can I cash this, please? <laughs> well, thanks for sitting down with me, man. I know you're busy. I really appreciate it. it was a lot well, of fun. Well, it's good. To, it's great to see you. It's good to have you back in town. Um, even though you, I don't know if you've been here for years or whatever. <laughs> but you have my number now. You have my. I don't have your phone number. We could talk about that. Eight oh four. Don't put it in the interview. Ah uh, well. <laughs> ah, I'm not too worried. All right, man. Thanks. Please. Yeah, and we should, yeah we should hang out and get caught up. I'd love to. How's your sister? Uh, she's good, man. No, he didn't. No, he didn't ask me how my sister's doing. What's up with that? Um, <clears throat> yeah, that was Dave Brocky. That was fun. He's got a lot of stuff going on, and they've got a new album out called uh, Battle Maximus. Their first one without uh, Corey Smoot. Uh, got the got the new guitar player, Mr. Brent Ferguson, I think is his name. He's also in Cannabis Course Over and, and what was that other one he's in? We have a match, me and Brent. We used he used to be in the Devil Tones after me, so Yeah. He got my sloppy seconds on that band. Yay, yay, yay. It's uh it's Friday. A lot of stuff going on this weekend. I mentioned it all at the top of the show um so you know you already know what's going on i feel like i'm playing down on the street in honor of the street art festival that's cute right um i bought it. i got a new bike yesterday i went down it's not new it's actually an old piece of crap but i love those old piece of crap road bikes that are like it's breaking away ass like fucking plain Jane 10 speeds fuck track bikes I don't ride on a track I ride on the city and I ride on hills so I need more than one gear and uh, I, and I really like those big old steel uh, frames and just it just fits you know so I my friend Byron found me one on Craigslist and I drove down to Chester to get it and the guy that had it was fucking trip he's this uh, kind of Chester dude uh, hanging out in the garage and he must like have like 200 bikes in his garage it's like a one car garage <laughs> full of bicycles and I could see way in the back he had one of those uh, 
Schwinn bikes. I can't remember. It's not a Continental. It's the other one. Um, Roadstar or something, but Starliner. I don't know. But they're just huge. They look like horses. They're the biggest bicycles. And I'm, you know, I'm 6'3", and they're just the right kind of bikes for me. I don't know what it is, man. I look at the current bikes and how skinny the tires are and all that, and I'm just feeling, I just imagine it accordioning under my weight. And it just doesn't feel like I got anything. You know, I like my bikes. Like I like my women, big and sturdy. Take some punishment when I ride them. Oh, <laughs> oh no, I did not. Um, anyway, yeah. I'm going to do something new this weekend. I'm going to put a uh, an audio podcast up of music. I'm just going to DJ like an hour of uh, jams. I'm going to put it out on Saturday, like Saturday night. Um and you can listen to it whenever you want but i'm going to put it i'm going to make it imagining you people at after 2 a.m. leaving the bars chilling at home driving home going to the after hours place hanging out that's going to be the theme nothing good happens after 2 a.m. it's going to be my my radio show tantric music dawn patrol all right We'll uh, see you guys soon, right? Later.